Welcome to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast, where in every episode we explore what is research culture and what should it be. You'll hear thoughts and opinions from a range of contributors to help you change research culture into what you want it to be. Welcome to the final episode of Season 4, which is focused on researcher careers. My name is Ruth Winden, and I'm the Careers with Research Consultant at the University of Leeds. I'm ending the season by giving the last word to our researchers. In the previous podcast episode, I talked about LinkedIn and why the platform matters to researchers. And since any activity on a platform starts by creating a profile, I shared some ideas about how to turn an okay profile into a really attractive one, to write a profile that acts as a magnet to attract your ideal audience. I also offered solutions to common mistakes I see researchers make on their LinkedIn profiles. But now we go further. You've polished your profile, so what's next? I asked three of our researchers to share their thoughts on how they use LinkedIn. You have met my guests before, so their voices will sound familiar if you have listened to previous episodes. First up is Marion Talbot, a PhD in education at the University of Leeds, who you met in episode three. Marianne came to one of my LinkedIn workshops on building your visibility, and off she went and implemented everything at speed. Her motto is be present and active, and she tells us about her approach to posting and commenting on LinkedIn. Marion, what I notice is you've become so active on LinkedIn and you put so many wonderful things out there. I've even included you, and I know I asked you for permission, I included you in some of my teaching materials as a shining example of how to engage on LinkedIn. So I wonder whether you can explain a little bit more about your approach to LinkedIn. Well, that's very kind of you, Ruth. Um, I don't know about shining example, but um, I think it was the first time we ever met, actually, and I say met in a virtual sense, obviously, um, was you talking about kind of brushing up your LinkedIn profile and, and getting oneself out there, um, which I knew I needed to do. I'd had a LinkedIn profile for a number of years, but never really used it. Um, but becoming a PGR at Leeds gave me the kind of kick up the backside, if you like, to, to get it sorted. Um, and I heeded your advice, I think, and jazzed up my profile. Um, and since then, so that's um, getting on for 18 months, um, I've been using it much more regularly, posting two, three times a week. And what I find really valuable, you know, it's lovely to have that jazzed up profile, isn't it? But actually, it gives me a chance to think about what's important to me to post. And because I have my irons in many fires, I've got my PGR work at Leeds, I've got paid work at the Chartered Institute for Educational Assessors, um, and I've got other paid work and I've got voluntary work and so on. So I can post about any of those things. So it's usually quite a variety, which means hopefully at least one of my posts in a week will appeal to, to someone in my network. Um, so I'm hitting quite a, a wide base of people. And I know that those people have their own networks and so on and so on. So I think it's about me being reflective about what's important to post and how do I how do I talk about this? I usually try and be quite positive, not always 100 percent positive, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. But also, will it be of interest to others? Um, and it's a way of showcasing 
you know, the variety of, of activities that I undertake across a week or a fortnight, um, you know, ranging from the sublime to the ridiculous. And I'm also much more active in terms of liking or commenting on others' posts as well, which I wasn't previously. Uh, I'm sure there's more I could do to up my game, um, but I, I felt it's given me a bit of a, a, a fillip, really. And it enabled me to point towards my researcher profile, towards um, other projects I'm interested in, uh, I'm involved in at Leeds, like the Hillary Place Papers. So I think I think for me, I don't know that I've seen any kind of monetary value or anything like that, and I wouldn't necessarily expect to. But to me, it feels valuable to be present and active on LinkedIn. And you've been really clear on your orientation. That is what is useful to my audience. I know you've got a diverse audience, and so you have to juggle a little bit, you know, what appeals to which part of my audience. But this audience orientation is so important, isn't it? And you know, I, I understand it's not always necessarily the immediate payback, but I can assure you, I notice you a lot more. And if I notice you a lot more, other people will. And all you need is at some point, you know, a new client to see, oh, you know, this Marion Talbot um, professional, she always talks about X, Y, Z, you know, why don't I reach out to her? So it's it's a long game, isn't it? But I just want to congratulate you because I've seen a real uptake. And as I said, you know, you, you have a beautiful way of describing things or structuring the post, you know, engaging. And so I shared it with other researchers at the university because it was such a great example for them. Because when you when I say, oh, raise your visibility, get more active on LinkedIn, that's not always easy to understand. What does that actually mean? And so thank you for sharing your approach. And yeah, all the best, Marian. Thank you. Thank you, Ruth. My pleasure. Next up is Dr. Nicholas West, who was a postdoc at Leeds before he moved into industry as an application specialist with Andor. Nicholas talks about LinkedIn as a job search tool. You heard about Nicholas's international career transitions in episode four. In our segment, Nicholas explains how he used LinkedIn to engage with a business-focused audience in his field and how he learned to translate his academic research expertise into something that spoke to commercial employers. His approach to getting recommendations might also be of interest, as this is an area that so many of us struggle with. So, Nick, you know, you've been using LinkedIn so successfully in your career management and in your job search. And I wonder whether you can give fellow postdocs and researchers a few tips. Yeah, I think um, to some extent it, it really fit with my personality to try to use leverage LinkedIn in a way I, I read books about and learned through the Careers Architect program at the University of Leeds, where um, it, I can almost be a little bit more passive, put all of my details, fill it in completely so that headhunters, recruiters can can find me and while I uh, finished up my my, pre, my postdoc and things like that. So it, um, I, I wanted to try to find out how, how could I make myself be able to be found as much as possible through it. Um, so besides just filling in all the information, the keywords that someone would search for, I read about how the algorithms work a little bit where they prioritize people that are connected to you more over others when people search for you. So if a recruiter is trying to search for you, if you're not connected to them, you're going to fall lower down in the list. So I made some connections, a few connections with LinkedIn lions. So LinkedIn open networkers that are connected to lots and lots of people, but also some recruiters themselves. 
but not too many because I don't want too many people that are not going to interact with my posts that I make. So this is one thing I've, I've discussed with Ruth, Ruth previously is, you know, you, you do you want some connections, but you want good quality connections that will comment on your post talk and you know interact with you when you do this. And so really, it's about building up this whole evidence of you as somebody that's enjoyable to work with as well. Because um, if you if you build up some recommendations that basically show that you're not just the stereotypical academic that sometimes there's you know an industry they might think oh maybe there's a reason somebody went for the phd maybe they can't interact as well in a big team as you need to in industry then they, they worry about you even if you do have all these amazing credentials or if you can't speak their language and and change to show how effective you were at taking out carrying out tasks not necessarily focusing on every single technical thing you can do but how well you did it so that somebody that's a recruiter that doesn't have your technical background can actually assess how good you are. Um, th these are some of the things I could think of from the from the top of my head. Yeah, fantastic. So it's really about, you know, building that good quality network, um, being meticulous about that you fill in your profile. And that's what I see often, you know, researchers don't put enough detail on there. They they leave a lot of things blank or just one sentence or give people a flavor. And then what you've been so good at is thinking, how does industry speak? What terminology do they use? Because they do use different language often and really writing it to an audience who think in a certain way and going from there. And one thing I also thought was great, you were very active, weren't you, Nick? You did post things. Yeah. So when when I was working on the postdoc, um, some of the types of things I would post were, I think, if I went to a conference or if I if I published a paper, I would try to um, write in more layman's terms to describe what that paper was about and and what I contributed to that work, so that um, my my friends would like and comment on it, but then also people outside of my circle could see a little bit as well. Absolutely. So speak the language of your audience. And then one thing that I find fantastic is the recommendations. And there is something about researchers that are so reluctant to ask for recommendations. You've been different, Nick. Tell us what makes the difference for you with the recommendations? I think, well, first of all, I, I you know, I talked to the people that I've enjoyed working with that I, I think that I have the mutual rapport with that I, I would enjoy that I could say I enjoy working with them as well. And so sometimes I just trade recommendations with them because it makes both of us look good. Um, that's probably most of them that I've gotten. And then sometimes I, um, they don't necessarily know what job I'm trying to go after next. So I might also mention, hey, can you comment on my presentation skills if you if you if you feel comfortable or or such and such abilities that would help me uh, land the next job um, as well? Yeah, fantastic. So, what would your tip be for researchers who are so reluctant? Because I often feel they think I have to be an absolute expert to be able to ask someone. I don't agree with that. What is your tip for them? How do they overcome that reluctance to ask? I, I think I'm usually more outgoing, so I think that's the. But at the same time. I think it's um, everyone has. Uh, it's just realizing everyone has their positive and negative qualities, and and you you know I think the one some of the things that Ruth developed through the careers architect program is uh, you know I, I'm a perfectionist, so sometimes it's a really good thing when I need to dive really deep into something, and and my my collaborators enjoy how thorough I am on some things, but it also can make them feel like I'm slow in and other things when they don't think. Um, I necessarily needed to spend as much time on something. So 
um, for me, it was about um, uh, thinking about how my personality affects others and 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 hiding the parts or, or minimizing the effect on others, the parts that that would do that, and trying to be a good colleague to them and 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 saying this is valuable for both of us. I, 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 That's a really good way to do it, isn't it? Because it helps both of you, and maybe that makes it a little bit easier to take the idea of asking for recommendations on board. Thank you so much for that, Nick. Brilliant. Mm -hmm. Least Warren Beardell comes back from episode five. Like Marion Talbot, Warren is also an experienced professional who has come to academia later in his career. Warren goes into quite some depth about LinkedIn as an engagement tool. He urges us all to stop and reflect on what do you want to get out of LinkedIn? What is your why? How and with whom? And what for do you want to get active on LinkedIn? What type of conversations do you want to contribute or even start? We go into quite some depth here, and I hope you find Warren's thinking as enlightening as I did. Warren Beardle is here with me today, and Warren is so active on LinkedIn. I observe what he does and how he does it, and he's given me permission to talk to him about this and share this on the podcast. So, hello, Warren. Hi, Ruth. Good to, uh, good to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, so I see you're really active on LinkedIn and you accomplish something that not many researchers seem to do naturally, and that is engage on LinkedIn. How do you do it and what does it give you back? <laughs> do I? Okay. Um, well, LinkedIn for me is, is perhaps a vehicle of engagement in a different way to perhaps other people address it. Um, I'm, I'm actually less, I'm less inclined to lead a conversation. Um, I do post, I, I sort of do, you know, there are things that I've, I start in terms of a conversation, but most of what I'm doing is actually getting involved in other conversations and conversations that are interesting to me. And so my contribution, if that's if that's what um, comes through, is is just part of that engagement. I am, I'm getting involved in a conversation. Uh, and so so that's perhaps what I'm doing differently to some people. I mean, I, I don't think I'm alone. I think there are other people doing that, but there, there are also a lot of people who are promoting as opposed to contributing. And for me, that's that's perhaps that's perhaps why some of my comments and some of the relationships I'm building on LinkedIn may look a little different to to other people. What's so obvious to me is Warren is that you contribute, you know, you move the conversation further, you share your expertise because you're interested in your audience and and building that community and having those conversations and as you say those who use LinkedIn purely as a self-promotional tool we know that doesn't work because it puts a lot of us off because it's just seen as so self-grandiosing behavior. And mm. what you do so well is you think, okay, who's my audience? What are the type of conversations do I want to be part of? And that's so good to see because that's, I think, you make a big impact on LinkedIn because people see it and they start to see you and respect you for your expertise and they look out for you and that's how you build trust. And so I think you do that so well. And I know when you do things well, you think, doesn't everyone do this? And I can tell you, no. And I just thought it was great to get your perspective on it because I know that many researchers I work with on LinkedIn say it's really intimidating for them. You know, they're scared of going yeah, public. Yeah, what's your what's yeah. your view on that? Uh well, yeah, I mean, it is it is right to be a little bit scared of that. I think I, I don't think people should be removing themselves from that emotion, from that fear, because I think it's healthy. 
um, if you are if you are engaging in a conversation as opposed to trying to create a conversation, you are exposing yourself to opinions other than your own. And I think having having that respect for the possibility of it going wrong is actually a good thing. And I mean, if you if you do follow some of my comments and some of the strings of conversations I get involved in, um, you've probably also noticed that that doesn't always go quite as intended. And there are moments when I've probably said the wrong thing, or I've said it in the wrong way, or I've frankly just engaged with the wrong people. And and so there is there is a reason to be slightly fearful. I mean, for me, it's almost like being in the playground and um, going up to a set of people who are maybe a bit of a clique and being the outsider and, and trying to have a conversation with them. Uh, that isn't always going to go well. Um, but but by doing it, I, you know, the other thing is everybody takes this very personally and everyone actually thinks this is quite, uh, you know, if I make a fool of myself, everybody's going to remember that forever. Well, they're really not. I mean, most people don't even remember the conversation they, you know, who they're having the conversation with two days ago. As long as you're not being provocative, controversial, just to be controversial, if you're actually genuinely interested in moving a conversation forward and learning as opposed to dictating, you know, the old, what's the expression, mansplaining, when you're telling people, uh, well, no, this is what you need to, this is what, this is what you haven't thought of. So, well, no, offer a thought and then expect a thought back that may actually be better than your own. So, so if, if, you're, if you are living slightly fearful, I would say good. The, the bravery, the courage is to then actually sort of do it anyway. Um, and to use it as a learning experience, you know, just like, I mean, I, I suspect most people listen to this uh, in, a, in a research forum and a research capacity. This is the same. This is, you know, this is you, in your research, you are getting involved in conversations. You know, you are, you, if you're making impact in your research, it's because you're contributing to the advancement of knowledge. For me, LinkedIn is just an extension of that same premise, which absolutely. is why I'm absolutely, you know, which is why I'm, I'm keen to to get involved in other people's conversations rather than necessarily generate them. Mm. And 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 actually, if you're if you're listening to this as as a LinkedIn wannabe, uh, you know, if you want to get more involved in the conversation, um, but you're you're a bit fearful and a bit reticent to do so, my advice would be to sort of just get involved in the conversations. It's so much easier to sort of just dip your toe in with a few comments get a few comments back, maybe get an exchange going. And then if you don't like it, you can just walk away. Yeah. Move on to the next conversation. And if you're fearful of starting those conversations, don't start the conversations, just get involved in other people's conversations. It's actually an easier experience. It's a safer experience, but eventually you'll, you'll start to find your own groove. Uh, you'll probably discover yourself in ways that um, are probably quite useful in terms of that social engagement. And maybe you can then start leading a few conversations. But most people, I think, make the mistake of going onto LinkedIn and worrying that they, they have to say something world changing and making a post that, you know, is remembered forever and being fearful that they're going to make a post that's remembered forever for the wrong reasons. Um, they're but setting if, the if, bar very yeah. high, aren't they? And, 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 and that's and, yeah, only sets you up to fail because they're, they're it's setting the bar really high. Yeah, and they're also setting the possibility of failure very high. And yeah. and and 
if you if you're just getting involved in other people's conversations and finding those people who are having those conversations that you want to get involved in congratulations you're now networking which is, is ultimately i think you know particularly as academics i think that's what linkedin is for mm. it's it's an extension of a dialogue it's an extension of dialogos yeah and it's also a means to escape the dialogue that you don't want to be getting involved in so don't lead the conversation, just contribute to it. Don't grow an audience, be the audience is, yeah. is actually sort of a, a way to, to maybe reframe that. That's um, really and probably, good, Warren. Yeah. And, and, and LinkedIn, I think, misses a trick in not encouraging people to be more that way inclined. What I've learned, I've done some media training and I was reassured, you know, we are good at censoring ourselves, number one, you know, and we know LinkedIn is different from other platforms where we might be a little bit more flippant or less thoughtful, but on LinkedIn, we're in professional mode and we think about what we contribute. So we can always check before we press the send button, we can check, is this really what I want to say? The other point for me is make it easy for yourself and start with people you know and who are friendly. There might be colleagues. You know, you don't go for the person with the biggest audience and most engagement and ever more people see. You know, start with the people you're comfortable with. Start with your peers. Start with your colleagues and get a feel for it. And then the last thing for me is also, as you say, the great thing is you can actually sit there and see what you are writing. And then you can edit it or you can post it and then edit it. You know, it's not like you're in the moment and you might regret what you say because you have that opportunity. And I say that because I know some researchers say, look, I'm an introvert, Ruth. I, It scares me. And I say, well, introverts have a real advantage on social media because you're not like me, like an extrovert who sometimes posts things, oops, you know, um, you think this through, you plan what you write, you read it before you send it, you know, you can compose something and always start small and build from there. And it's that confidence building. And I didn't do it any other way. I didn't go out there full throttle and putting myself out there to the gurus in my field. No, you know, I started with colleagues and had those lovely conversations and I still have them. And it's a real joy because I can also have conversations with people who are all over the world. And that's the beauty of it, isn't it, Warren? Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And I mean, my my contact list, my my followers, people I follow, it's not it's not a significant number. Um, and actually of that number, I would actually suggest, I mean, just to just to push you on that a bit, actually, in terms of sort of starting with people you know, I actually find that very few people that I know well are active on LinkedIn. Uh, so, so, so for me, a lot of the relationships that I'm building on LinkedIn are with people that I've never met before, but I'm building relationships with them anyway. And actually sort of, you know, I'm observing now because I'm probably more, more receptive to, to understanding this and I perhaps was a couple of years ago. I think I'm, I've always got maybe 20, 30 people that I'm following and contributing to conversations alongside who, because LinkedIn sort of feeds on your feed, if you like, and your responsiveness, I always find I've sort of got 20, 30 people that are contributing to the same conversations I'm getting involved in. And so then the next time I'm involved in a conversation that they're involved in, that was completely different to the one I was involved in last time. And sometimes those are those are things that I'm just not interested in. So it's, so eventually I may actually start on following someone just so that they drop off my feed for a while because it's just taken me down uh, roads that I'm not that bothered about. But then maybe I'll bring them back in later. Alternatively, 
there are people I really want to see more of and I don't see them because LinkedIn has decided that my feed is better appropriated somewhere else. But I will actually go and find their profile and make a comment on a post that they've made recently or possibly even in-message them uh, if we're connected. And that will then mean that my feed is starting to bring their conversations back to the fore. So, so in both of those contexts, it's a conversation that is being had, not necessarily by people with people I know, but within a couple of weeks, I start to know these people because we're starting to contribute to the same conversations. Um, That's and, a good point. It's the diversity and, of your networks, yeah. isn't it? And you are, I mean, you're pretty sophisticated on LinkedIn. You are going diverse. I'm going, you know, wide out because I believe in diverse networks. Mm. The point about start with the people you feel comfortable with is simply, you know, when you start out, I think the threshold is lower if you yeah. start commenting with your peers, your colleagues, people you work with anyway, or who are maybe in the same professional association or wherever you know them from. And it builds that confidence and you see, okay, I can do this. And then you take it to the next step. Because I think yeah. the danger is yeah. it becomes like an echo chamber, doesn't it? Um, you know, if you uh, constantly it, it stay be. in the same. At yeah. the same time, I take your point, you know, we all can't connect and be connected and in conversation with hundreds of thousands of people, you know, mm. it's impossible. And it's always this number, you know, for some people, they have 50 people that trust on LinkedIn. Others have 30,000. That is the LinkedIn limit. I okay. do not want to have connections of that size on LinkedIn because it would be a full-time job. So I, I, I agree. I agree. And and, and actually sort of the, that, I, I think that comes to the nub of a question that people probably should be asking in their broader research context as well as their LinkedIn presence is why are you, why are you there? What, you know, what are you wanting to get out of that? Or what are you wanting to put into that? And and it's it's by understanding that that I think you can start to have more meaningful engagement on a platform like LinkedIn because it is doing something, you know. And the answer, by the way, should never be uh, I want to raise my profile so I can be an influencer, which is what a lot of people I think on LinkedIn are really doing. I I still don't understand the business model. And if somebody is listening to this and understands the LinkedIn business model, when you're trying to be an influencer on something like LinkedIn, because uh, there's no advertising, is there? I mean, it's not it's not like you're suddenly sort of accumulating revenue space in the way that you would on something like YouTube, but. There are lots of people out there who, who seem to sort of just be wanting to grow a following. It's like, and it doesn't really matter who's following them. It's like, you know, as long as people are following them, there's, as long as there's a number involved, then job done. And, and there's a few academics that have found themselves in this space. And I'm looking and going, how have you got time to actually be properly engaging in other people's conversations, let alone the conversation that you're leading um, if you're if you're accumulating such a massive footfall of mm. followers. You know, and and how followers, many it's not about vanity, is it? It's about adding to a conversation, yeah. finding yeah. collaborators, showcasing, yes, showcasing your research yeah. because at the end, you know, we want to have impact. So I totally understand that. And for me, that is not being, oh, I'm the best, look at me, how wonderful I am. You know, it's well, it's being yeah. of service to your community. Yeah. Can I ask you one last thing, Warren? And it's so interesting. We could have a whole episode with you yeah. on LinkedIn I, I, alone. I want to, I want to just yeah. push back on that before you do, though. So, so the, the notion that you're on LinkedIn to promote your research, is that actually why the people listening to this are going on to LinkedIn? And, and maybe the answer is yes, uh, which is fine. Um, but how many people are actually interested in your research in the context of how you're 
framing your research. And so my, my, my challenge to that or my alternative perspective on that is, can you get insights from your research into existing conversations that are going on anyway? And, and if the answer to that is yes, then maybe your research is starting to be shown in the context in which it actually has some impact. So, so maybe, maybe not going on to LinkedIn to promote your research, but maybe going on to LinkedIn to evolve your research in conversations that are going on in a social space. And if you can find that combination, then maybe LinkedIn is actually teaching you something about yourself and your research, as opposed to you going on to LinkedIn to try and teach other people what your research teaches them. So, so for me, the perspective out. is, is that, that's why the reason, you know, why you're on LinkedIn, I think, becomes such a pregnant and pertinent um, first question to be asking when you're, from an academic perspective, trying to grow it's a really good point, Warren. And when I said promotion, it's probably the wrong word I use because for me, it's about who is my audience and how can I serve that audience? So when I put career related posts onto LinkedIn, I'm not doing it because I think, oh, I want the world to see how wonderful Ruth Winden is. It's about mm-hmm. what is of use to my community, which is the researchers at Leeds and beyond. What is helpful to them? How can I help them manage their careers better? So mm-hmm. it's not about me. It's always about them. And I think that's the most effective way because I think the number one criticism of LinkedIn is that it's getting more and more and more about self-promotion and it's totally and utterly off-putting. The yeah. last thing I wanted to ask you, Warren, and then I'll let you go back to your research, is <laughs> what do you say to people who say, well, LinkedIn isn't really for me because there are no academics on there? Because I get that a lot as an objection. Uh, well, uh, okay. Uh, well, maybe you're right. May, 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 maybe LinkedIn isn't right for you. If, if all you're going on to LinkedIn for is to engage in conversation with other academics, uh, well, that's kind of what you that's what your academic journals and your research is actually sort of um, already promoting. But how many how many academics are are actually only engaged in academic research that is relevant to other academics? Um, and and how how many people out there are academics who are doing research that has some impact in the wider world? And and if if the answer is if the answer is the latter, you know, if 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 research is being done so that there is a better interface between academic rigor and real world challenge, then maybe that's a better positioning for your goal framing of why you're on LinkedIn. Yes, there definitely should be more academics who are active on LinkedIn. But in the same way, I think there are many leaders, organizational leaders, um, business leaders, charity leaders, politicians, a lot of people in positions of authority who shy away from LinkedIn because they don't want to have those conversations. They don't want to be involved in that interface. And this comes back, I think, to this fear point that they, you know, a CEO who is too vocal about things and ultimately gets found wanting um, is actually quite exposed and maybe seeing that as a career threat. Um, But as an academic who is trying to advocate a conversation, always trying to get involved in a conversation. Why are you just looking for other academics? Why aren't you actually looking for people who represent the research subject area, object area, um, uh, the verb, the process that you're getting involved in? So 
um, just reframe your own question. I think, you know, not, not you, Ruth, I mean, you know, as, as the listener, reframe your own question as to, you know, why are you going on to LinkedIn? So that, that'd be my, that'd be my response to that. You, you can probably make it more succinct. Thank you so much, Warren. Wonderful input from you. And yeah, let's continue our conversations on LinkedIn. Take care. Bye-bye. See you, see you on there. Thank you. And finally, I want to thank you for sticking with me through my very first podcast season. Or maybe you've dipped in and out and picked what resonated with you. Or maybe this is your very first episode that you're listening to. Whatever brought you here, I appreciate you. And if you like what you heard, I have some good news. I will be back. I'll have plenty of ideas, new topics and new guests, and maybe even some follow-up episodes as my guests develop their careers. The next season will be led by my colleague, Jed Hall, who will be looking at research impact. I know Jed has invited some fabulous guests to explore research impact from many angles. He also has, and I hope you won't mind me saying this, a beautiful podcast voice. So enjoy his voice and, of course, the great content coming your way. And I'll be back with more episodes about careers before you know it. If you have any comments, thoughts or challenges for me, in the meantime, just get in touch. Stay well. Thanks for listening to the Research Culture Uncovered podcast. Please subscribe so you never miss out on our brand new episodes. And if you're enjoying the discussions, give us some love by dropping a five-star rating and written review as it helps other research culturists find us. And please share with a friend and show them how to subscribe. Thanks for listening and here's to you and your research culture.